I want to I want to jump into the message now. And the message is titled Identity. 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 Praise God. Back in 2001, there was a, a gentleman named uh, Abraham Abdallah, and he was arrested because he was the mastermind, the mastermind behind a very large identity theft operation. He was attempting to steal over $80 million through this operation. He had, on his possession, he had 800 fake credit cards. When they busted him, that he had 800 fake credit cards, and he had 20,000 blank credit cards ready to be, you know, imprinted with information. Um, he had on him, they found that he had somehow obtained records, uh, financial records and personal information of Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, he was going to get a lot of money, right? <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, he had um, uh, records of Warren Buffett, George Lucas, like uh, um, Paul Allen, which is the co-founder of Microsoft. So this guy wasn't just going after like you and me. He was like, they don't got enough money for me. Let me go after some real like money, right? And so he, I mean, this gentleman and his operation were targeting very, very wealthy people and they had already succeeded in stealing so much. Um, 2011, there was a, 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 a Bonnie and Clyde duo, a husband and wife, and their name was um, Amar and uh, his wife. So it was like Amar and his wife. I don't, I don't, they don't put his, her name in here. But she, they were arrested for and convicted of what was considered the largest. So it was even larger than the last guy, right? The largest case of identity theft. They had 100 people working in their little community. Right? They had 100 people working for them. Um, they stole identities from different websites. They stole identities from those like, scanners that people like, get really close to you and they scan your information. Right? They, say they, they found all different ways, and they would make this, use this information to make fake credit cards. Again, the scam only lasted from July to September, only three months. July to September, yet it was considered one of the largest identity theft cases because in three months, they had managed to steal $13 million. They got greedy. They should have stopped while they were ahead. Not my plan. They shouldn't have done that at all. 2019, 14.4 million people became victims of identity theft. 14.4 million people. Credit card ratings ruined, right? Uh, your uh, savings gone. You know, financial planning, you know, destroyed. Having to enter into arguments and disputes with loan companies and banks, because you guys know how it, you know, it is. Like, wait, I didn't use that. You got to call the bank. I didn't do that. Are you sure? What were you? This and that. And then you got to go back and forth with them so that you can prove that it wasn't you. So, 14.4 million having to deal with this. Do you know that a person's identity is one of the most valuable things that you have? It's one of the most valuable things that you have. Yet, there are cases where people are willing to sacrifice their identity, willing to change it, willing to give it up. Like this guy named Philip Tolomeo. He was a loan officer for the Italian mafia. 
and uh, between 1978 to 1988, 10 years, he, was, he would keep the books, he would uh, collect loans and all sorts of things, and then something must have happened where he didn't get his way or somebody treated him bad because he went into the FBI and he gave them all his information. Remember, he was the record keeper. He was the bookkeeper. He had all the numbers. And he went, and all they had to do was, like, they changed his name. They put him somewhere in the witness protection program. There are 19,000 people currently in the witness protection program that have given up their identity and became someone else and have become someone else. 19,000 people, new lives, new names, new jobs. Look around. How well do you know that person next to you? Look around, look around. Because you could be, well, somebody could be in the wood. No, I'm my plan, I'm my plan. Mike, is that your real name? I'm just saying, no. <laughs> Today we're exploring the subject of true identity. True identity. Self-identity is all about who you are. My self-identity is about who I am, who I am. But yet, we have a lot of questions about who we are, right? We have questions like, how many people have asked yourself, who really am I? Who am I? Nobody has asked yourself that by yourself? Like, who am I? What's so special about me? You look in the mirror, you're like, who are you? What's so special about me? Why do I even exist? Why am I here? What is this world all about? What makes my life worth anything? These are questions that many people will ask themselves in the mirror. Of all races, of all ages, of all backgrounds, social classes, we will ask ourselves, like, why am I here? When I leave this planet, will it even matter? Will people notice when I'm gone? Will things even change? Will they celebrate? Will they mourn me? Will people go on like if I never existed? All these questions. Questions. All these questions go right to the core of who you are. And because of this, because this is such a big deal, and because it makes such an impact, you can bet that the devil loves to attack your identity. He loves to confuse your identity. He loves to distort your identity. He loves to, to feed you all sorts of things that you will base your identity around as opposed to what you should be basing your identity. One of his master strategies, right, is to, for us to draw our identity from sources which we should not. So we'll talk about a couple of those. Let's turn to 1 John Chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. All right. It says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, 
but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone that does what pleases God will live forever. So here, what we're reading is that we can't love the things of this world. The word tells us we can't love the things of this world. Yeah, but uh, Pastor, I, I, I like to get on roller coasters. What's wrong with that? Ain't nothing wrong with roller coasters. It's not a sin. Where's in the Bible? Show me in the Bible where's the sin to get on roller coasters. That's not what I'm talking about. We can love to do things, right? But to have a love of the world is to put things before the love of the Father. It's to love things that, uh, of this world that we shouldn't because it goes against what he desires for us. Okay? And so we can't love the things of this world. Not only does the word say that if we love the things of this world, then it happens is we don't love, we don't have the love of the Father in us. And I'm not going to talk about that too much, but I just want to touch on this. We cannot say that we love the Lord. We cannot say that we surrender ourselves to God. We cannot say that he is, he's my Abba Father, you know, he's everything. And then we have more love for the things of this world than we do for him. In fact, it, the second you begin to love the things that this world has to offer you, the Bible says that you do not have the love of God in you. Okay? We're not talk, I just want you guys to write that down and pray about that, read about that, study about that. So another thing is that the things of this world are temporary. They're, gone, they're, they're here today and gone tomorrow, right? So we place our love in these things. Guess what? These things will fade away. These things will fade away. It reminds me of, like, my daughter who falls in love with, like, little flowers. She has this obsession with little flowers, and she wants to pick the flowers, right? So I have to make sure I don't walk the dog and Abigail by any neighbors that have nice flowers on their lawn because then I have to, like, pull her away because she wants to pluck the flowers out. And so what happens is she plucks the flower out, and the flower looks great. And she loves the flower, and she enjoys the flower. And then later she's like, Daddy, why does it look like this? Because you killed it by taking it out of the ground. It was temporary. The things of this world are just like that. One minute we fall such in love with something, and the next minute you know it's dead. It's gone. It's ruined. So many people will form their identities around the things of this world, and these things are temporary, but yet they will form their whole identities around those things. And what happens is then they set themselves up for disappointment. They set themselves up for failure. They get frustrated. They don't know why. You know, they're always frustrated with themselves. Like, why am I always, why am I always? Well, because you keep tailoring your life and your identity around things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Well, what are some of the things that people base their identity around? One thing is wealth, Right? We all could say we could use a couple more dollars in the bank account. None of us would complain. Who would complain? None of us would really complain against having more, <laughs> right? Well, Mike, if you have too much, you know. No, but um, nobody really complains, right? No one's going to complain about it. But when your love is based around wealth, when your identity is based around wealth, some people, they, they feel like they only send, they have a, um, they gain a sense of value over how much they have in the bank account, right? 
So uh, how much real estate, how much property they have, they build their identity around those things. Their identity has been built around wealth, right? When a person does this, what they're doing is they're actually putting a dollar value on themselves. So how much are you worth? Because when you put your value, um, when your identity is based around how much you have, then at that moment, you've just said, I am worth $8,000, if that's all you have. If I'm, I'm worth $20,000, I'm worth, I'm worth $8,000, and this car, this car, and this car, and this house, that's what I'm worth. When, when people think that way. Matthew 20, 16, 26 says this. It says, for what profit is it to man... If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Check this out. <laughs> yeah, I don't, all right. Look, our wealth, our wealth is not found in this world. We have to understand that. You can be Scrooge McDuck rich. Who remembers Scrooge McDuck? Nobody? All right, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you guys are, like, acting all, like, uh, Scrooge McDuck rich. He used to, you know, the little cartoon with the duck used to swim in the money, right? Oh, that, okay. So what happens is y'all can be Scrooge McDuck rich, and still it's worthless toward eternal salvation. Worthless. Worthless. You can gain the whole world. You can be bigger than Bill Gates, than, than whoever the richest person is these days, right? You could be bigger than that, and yet it will mean nothing for your eternity. Nothing. So then it says, what would you pay for your soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul if money can't get you eternity? So... Is, not, is it bad to plan? No. Is it bad to save? No. Is it bad to want to make sure that you're comfortable and your children are comfortable and you live in a decent... No, none of that is wrong. None of it is wrong. But do not build your identity around the things of, of like money and property and real estate and stuff like that. We can't make the mistake of being that. One human soul is worth so much more than the value of everything on this planet. There's, you could gather the whole planet together, and yet your soul, your life, is worth more than all of that. You have to understand that. You have to. But you know what? There's a guy named the devil, right? And what he loves to do is he loves to be like, you ain't worth nothing. You done messed up how many times? You, you, wait, you, you, you think people really care about you? You think people, you think people really, they like, they don't want you around? Like, how many have heard those evil whispers, right? We've heard them. Nobody will miss you. Nobody will miss you. Nobody cares about you. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's designed to tear you down and to make you doubt who you truly are. The enemy, the devil, does not want you to discover. Because, you see, you are, but you may not know who you are. 
And what happens is the enemy does not want you to discover who you really are. How many movies have we watched when it's like um, a person who's like a regular person that doesn't know that they're the heir to the throne? And then, uh, and then there's like a whole back-end story where they're trying to look for the, the lost child of the king, right? And, and they, they find him in New York City just chilling in, like, in a subway or something, not realizing that he is a king. You are all princesses and princes, all of you, because we serve a king of kings. And what happens is the devil does not want you to discover that you are royalty. Because what happens is when you make a discovery of royalty, things change. You know, you're like, oh, excuse me. Excuse me. You start walking around like, you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Right? Excuse me. Excuse me. And so what happens is we, we end up doing the same, but we go, devil, excuse me. Do you know who I am? My daddy's a king. And you need to bow down to, you know, to, to right now, right now, bow down. What you want to do, what you want to say has no authority or power in my life. But that happens when you discover who you are. You know, back in um, 1929, there was a Wall Street crash. What happens when you base your identity around money? What happens when you base your identity about all the things that you possess, and one day, it's gone? Well, we could take a sneak peek of what might happen. Back in 1929, that happened. Many very wealthy people lost everything. Their identity was based off of what they had. Their identity was based on how much money, how much property, how much status. It was gone in a blink of an eye, and it says that that year, uh, 1,616 people, I'm sorry, 1,600 banks went bankrupt, 20,000 companies went bankrupt, and that year, 23,000 people committed suicide. The highest rate in one year ever. 23,000 people lost their identity with their money. And they had, they felt they had no reason to live. They felt that they could no longer continue on in life because they did not have what they based their identity off of. Important that we do not base our identity around the wrong things. What else? What else do people base their identities off of? Looks. Okay. Would you believe me that I told you that some people, right, they base their whole identity off looks. And especially in the Instagram era that we live in, we got Instagram models this, we got Instagram models that. I mean, people are getting paid to just go on Instagram and look pretty, right? That's what we, that's right, that's the world we live in. Their entire identities are based around how they look. We don't have to worry about that here. No one here has to worry about that because we are all equally ugly in this. No, I'm only playing. I'm only playing. My wife is beautiful. No, I'm only playing. Uh, we are all beautiful. You guys are very lovely. I look out and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful church. It's only a joke. Let me tell you something. When we base, when we base our identity around our looks we forget we forget certain things right what is the arch enemy of our looks sometimes what would be the antidote 
to vanity. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you the answer. It's called getting older. We get older, right? Things change. Age, time. So how do we know when we're getting older? You know that you're getting older when you have a party and the neighbors didn't even realize you had a party. That's one of the ways they know. You know you're getting older when your back goes out more often than you do. You know you're getting older when you sing along with the elevator music, and I'm guilty of that. You know how it is. You're in the elevator, and you're like, "Mm," and you start humming to it, you know. You know you're getting older when you enjoy hearing and swapping out operation story. You know, I got operated over here. Where'd you get operated? You know, like, you know, we swap out stories, you know. You know, we match scars. Like, hey, I got a scar right here, right? That was my sister and I last night. Hey, I got a scar here. You got a scar here. You know you're getting older when your ears might have a little more hair on them than your, your head. You know you're getting older when your secrets are safe with your friends because the second you tell them, they can't remember. So they're safe. Seriously, the seri- on the serious end, though, People will base their whole lives on looks. And then as we get older, things happen. Our muscle mass begins to decrease. It changes, right? Our bone density changes. Our, our skin begins to thin out, right? Um, our pigmentation, it discolors. Like, you know, it's, it, that's what happens. It happens. It's normal. But what happens is if your identity is based off of all these things, then you start to rush to do everything to stop it. You get Botox, you get um, hair transplants, you get, you know, you get a facelift, you get a that lift, a this lift, a hair lift, a that lift, and you, everything gets lifted. And, that, and what happens is we start doing all sorts of things to fight against something that's going to happen anyway. Because looks are temporary. And you know what? We don't all look the same. You know, we don't all look the same. When I look around and we look at our, our more mature, our more mature uh, ladies that we have, we are blessed with some beautiful mature ladies in this house. You guys are beautiful. So you guys still look awesome. Right? Yeah. But what happens is we put our identity based around that. And that doesn't stay the same. And what happens is when you think you're somebody and then things change, you're like, oh, wait, I thought I was this. And then you, you have to try to figure out how to keep up or how to stay a certain way because if not, then you no longer know who you are. I was the Instagram model for 10 years. Now who am I? What do I do? What do I put on my resume? Uh, Instagram model? I'm sorry. Do you know how to read? I don't know. I, don't know. I know how to use Instagram. Uh, sorry. Next. (laughs) Sometimes we put our our identities based on status. My name is Dr. Reverend. My name is Dr. Reverend Diaz. And what happens is we begin to base our identity around status, around titles, salutations. Who are you, right? Doctor, this, or, or, you know, Esquire, that, or whatever the case may be. But guess what? Those things change too. Uh, especially in the military. I, I know guys that were in the military that we were, I mean, I did five years, but some of my buddies have gone all the way through. 
I have friends that are master sergeants, master gunnery sergeants. And what happens is it comes to a point in your life that if you're not careful, then that becomes your identity. So what do you do now, master gunnery sergeant? You're no longer in the Marine Corps. You're no longer in the Marine You no longer have men to lead and women. You no longer have missions to accomplish. You no longer have, you no longer have equipment that has to be fixed and, and certified and helicopters that have to get off the ground. What do you do now, Master Gunnery Sergeant? Who are you? You know, even military guys go home and they commit suicide because they don't know what their purpose is now. It happened a lot with Vietnam. When the guys came back from Vietnam, a lot of our Vietnam veterans are struggling with the fact that they were fighting a war and now they're back. And now what? Who wants them? They risked their lives. They lost friends. They made it back alive to die, to die in these streets. Do you know that? you know how many veterans have made it through, through Desert Storm as well? They come back from all these wars. They come back to sit on these streets and then die here because they, they feel like they, what's my purpose now? There's no war to fight. We cannot base our identities around the wrong things or we end up like that, lost, confused. Achievements. Well, I've written three books. Oh, I've written four. You know, I've gone here. You know, I've traveled the world. Oh, you've also traveled. I travel here. And so we look at our achievements. You know, I've succeeded in my job. I was once this, and now I'm the CEO. Well, that's good. Those are good things. But you cannot base your identity around achievements. You can't base your identity around failures either. Sometimes we base our identities around failure. I'm a failure. I failed at this. I failed at that. I'll always be a failure. It's now. We, and we put this dark cloud on us. The circumstances, my health. There are some people that, that will create their identity around a health condition. I have this. So this is who I am now. I'm always sick. I'm always this. And, and so what happens is they built their identity around a sickness. And then it's almost like they have to be sick because when they're not sick, what am I going to do? No no one's taking care of me anymore. No one's, like, you know, what am I going to do? Or they build their identity around people that are sick and they help people that's sick and that's a good thing to do, but what happens when there's no one to take care of at that moment? What happens at that moment where there's no one to take care of? Who are you? Are you just someone that helps take care of others or do you have an identity? I'm, I'm drilling this, right? I'm drilling, are you guys getting this? Are you guys getting this? The devil will love for us to define ourselves by our wealth, by our looks, by our circumstances, by our achievements, by, by all the things that are of this world. Because in this world, when you achieve greatness, like through, you know, the eyes of man, you're respected in the eyes of man. And you can achieve great things in the kingdom and still man won't respect you here. But that's okay. That's all right. Because our great reward isn't here. Our great reward is not now. All these things belong to this world, and this world will pass away. And although some of these things are not bad, like I said, it's not bad, right? They become a problem when you build your self-identity based on that. So the question for you is today, so far, 
Is your self-identity derived from one of these things? That's for you. Don't raise your hand. Think about it. Who am I? Is my self-identity derived from things that are here today and could be gone tomorrow? Who I am right now, is it someone that will be confused or frustrated or, 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 or lost if, if something changed in the world today? Who am I? How much, how would it impact your life if one of these things disappeared? If all wealth was gone right now, would we all be the same people? You guys lost it all. We'd be broke together. We all move in here, put some cots and stuff. <laughs> if overnight you lost your looks, if overnight you know, you, you lost your title, your position, would you know who you are? Would your identity be destroyed? Or will you still be Chris? Will you still be Chris? There are definitely, those are definitely the sources that we do not want to form our identity around us. So we talked about it. I, 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 dig, I, I, I buried that into you, and I just want to talk about some things that, that I believe that God does want us to derive our identity from. And this, a great starting point is this, understanding that I am a son of God. I'm a son of God. I belong to his family, and he's my dad. Like we said a, like last month or something, like he's my daddy, right? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's go straight to Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 5. And it says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God looked loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. If you were in the Bible study, we talked about this because this was found in Ephesians chapter 1, and we did this two weeks ago. If you missed it, it's okay. You can catch up. You can catch up. But I want us to understand that we are all sons and daughters of God. The moment that you receive Christ, the moment that you accept Christ, the moment that you say, I'm a sinner, I'm a mess, I'm a mess, come into my life, at that moment, uh, uh, that moment you are adopted into the family. You are adopted into the family. I've mentioned this before, and I, I say this again because many people get confused. Um, we are all God's creation. We are all created by God. But something miraculous happens the moment that you surrender your life and accept Christ at that moment you are no longer just a creation you are now longer adopted and you are a son and a daughter of God and it's important to know that because you know you hear the cliche thing like we're all sons and daughters of God and it sounds beautiful it sounds kumbaya you know you want to hug a tree and everything like that I get it but the thing is this, it's not true because it happens through salvation. It happens through salvation. 
And so what happens is, here we are, we accept Christ, we come before God, we surrender before him, and we become adopted by God. Some of you guys say, adopted? That's, why adopted, though? I can't be a natural son and daughter. Why well, I got to be adopted, though? Some people, not you guys, but some other people might think that. And I said, I said, well, let's look at this. There are so many children around the whole world that are natural children, and yet their parents don't want them. So many natural children around the world, and their parents leave them places and don't care about where they're at. You know, they, they, they just, they, they, they're not caring about if they're eating, if they're sleeping, if this, I mean, there are parents that just don't care. There are parents that, uh, there are parents that became parents by accident. Oops. <laughs> Oops, I'm pregnant. You know, they weren't planned. You know, I mean, we love our children, but some, some, some of us were not planned. I was not planned. I think they wanted to enjoy their marriage. You know, they got married. They wanted to have a couple years to relax. And they're like, oh, guess we're not going to do that. This guy just showed up. You know, there are times that uh, kids are planned, and it's still not what you want. You know, my wife and I, we were trying, and you guys know the story, so many years and so many miscarriages, so many, you know, things that we went through, and then we finally were pregnant, and we were there in the doctors, and I wanted a boy, wanted a little boy, and she wanted a boy because I wanted a boy, so she wanted to be like, come on, boy, team boy, right? And the doctor said, okay, you're having a girl, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool, and I look over, and she's like, I'm like, why are you crying? And the doctor was like, uh, you okay? She cried. She cried when she found out she was having a girl because she wanted a boy. If we could go back, we still wouldn't change it because Abigail's a unique, a, a unique child, a new case that I, would, I wouldn't give up. Um, but what happens is this. Those are natural parents. What happens when a parent goes to adopt a child? I mean, let's, let's be realistic. No parent goes through the adoption process for a child that they do not want. They say, you know what? I want this child. And they pay very amounts of large money. You know, the adoption rate is going like at $40,000-ish to adopt a child, which never makes sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me at all. There are so many children that need homes, so many children that need parents, and they're trying to charge you half a hundred thousand dollars to get a, you know, it doesn't make sense. Anyways, anyways, that's not my field, so I don't understand it. But um, a parent will go through all this because they choose. When adoption process happens, you know that those children are hand-chosen to be brought into the family. Hand-chosen. How much more... Do you feel the adoption process when that father is God? God. That second you accept Christ, he's like, come. And he takes you. He's like, you're my child now. You're my child now. Remember the father, the prodigal son? When the son returned, he says, yo, throw a robe on him. Throw a ring on him. Give him some bling or something. Let people know. Let people know that he's my son. And so God does the same with us. He says, come. He covers us. He, 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 he elevates us. He, he, in, he pours some authority in us, his authority in us. And he's like, I want people to know that you mine. 
But that comes with some responsibility because then you got to walk like you are his, right? You can't shame your parents. And we talked about that last week about kids that act, you know, act a fool and then everybody looks at the parent like. Yo, yeah, some, of you, some people be guilt, guilt, like shaming parents. Don't do that to us. Don't do that. Don't do that. How many, parents, how, many, how, how many parents go through that sometimes? When they look at you and they do the head nod? You got you to repent right there because something was about to happen and you got to repent before it does. Lord. All right, all right, I'm sorry. We're getting off. We're getting off. All right, so listen. Listen. Um, he chose you. Your identity should reflect the fact that you know that you're a child of God. These are things that you want to base your identity of. Guess what? I'm a child of God. That should be the core of your identity. And then moving on, guess what? What else? Guess what? He loves me so much. He loves me so much. And knowing that he loves you, knowing that his love for you is so immense, knowing that it's unconditional, knowing that it's everlasting, knowing that love should let you know, like, okay, I'm a child of God. He loves me so much. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn to you. He loves us with this everlasting love, and as a result of it, as a result of his loving kindness, he draws himself to us. How do we know God loves us? Well, look around. Look at creation. Look at creation. It's, it's perfect. He, he's given us everything we need. Remember the Bible says, like, if these birds of the air, if they eat, well, how, how, how will he not take care of you? Like, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of us. Everything man ever needed was built into creation. I know we don't really live like that anymore. Because, you know, we have cars and houses and all that electricity and stuff like that. But guess what? If none of that existed, he had already uh, provided through his creation everything that you need. Food, water, shelter, everything. How do we know he loves us? Because he takes an active and ongoing interest in us. Lighthouse has a group of theologians, right? So this is where, this is where like, listen, listen, for theology, for those that like to study it. This is where we, 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 you talk about the doctrine of uh, the doctrine of the um, immense, uh, eminence of God. The doctrine of the eminence of God. What does this mean? That we're so little, and yet God takes an interest in us, an active interest in us, a daily, ongoing interest in you. You could be this tiny. You could be that. You could be this. Things could be, you could be horrible. You could be, but God, he being God, still being almighty, Still being like the creator of all, he takes an active and ongoing interest in you. These are things that you want to base your identity off of. This is what you want to, you want to start to say, I'm a child of God. He loves me. You know what? No matter what, he's always concerned about me. He's interested in me. He wants to hear from me. And that's why we encourage you guys to, to you know what? In your own time, talk to him. You don't pray just when you're in church. Pray when you're home too. Talk to him. Have a conversation. Have a relationship. Because I, 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 I'm big on pushing you having your own relationship with God than just coming here and kind of like tailgating off of mine. I'm sorry. Was that, was, that, was that bad? That's truth, right? That's truth. I mean, tailgating can be fun. But not when, I mean, not when it's an Eagles game or something. 
Yo, my, how is my sister from New York an Eagles fan? I don't get it. I don't get it. She in the right church. She, she in the right church, right? Don't, we'll pray for her later. <laughs> so, so the thing is this, understanding that God is actively interested in me. Is that not love? Is that not love? My wife and I, we have this thing we call uh, at the end of every day, we debrief. We debrief. At the end of every day, we talk about, okay, what happened in your day? Who would you speak to? What are those conversations like? Blah, blah, blah. And then she, she goes to me like, so who would you talk to? What are your conversations like? Blah, blah, blah. So we're one, just so you know. We're one. Whatever you tell her, whatever you tell me, we're one. This, this is how God put us together. Okay? And so we debrief. And what happens is this. I take an active role in caring about what she goes through during the day. She takes an active role in wanting to be interested in what I go through every day. And that's just us. I mean, like, I have time for her. Like, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't create her. But God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the last king, like, he is interested in me on a daily all day long? Is that not love? Is that not love? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. So speaking of love, but then they throw this in rich in mercy. What's this about? Bill Gates is rich in money. So what happens is he's oozing with money, right? Well, God is rich in mercy, so mercy just oozes out of our God, right? He's overflowing with mercy. <laughs> God and I are very different because we all know that if you were God, you would look down from heaven and be like, again? How many chances I got to give this guy? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I am done. I'm done. You know what? And then, I don't know, if God has a scepter or whatever, zap, whatever the case may be, right? Like, like if you were God, your, our patience would run thin. We would have no mercy for some things. Like, oh, no, they know better. My Bible says this. My word says this. They should know better, and yet they're doing this. Oh, what? you know what? You're done. Dead. Whatever. But God's not like that. He did look down on us, though. He did look down on us, and he saw the condition. He looked down on us, and he said, I don't, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. But he didn't zap us and kill us and hit the restart button. I mean, he did that once. But he promised not to do that again. And I remember the rainbow was a promise. The rainbow was a promise. The world wants to turn it to something else. But the rainbow signifies a promise of God's love for us. After the flood, the rainbow came. He said, I won't do this again. So I won't destroy the world again like that. Anyways, he did look down. And he looked down from heaven. And he looked down with eyes of compassion. And with love. And he saw the world was, was all, was drowning in sin. He saw that the world was entangled in their own selfishness and all their, all their, all their vanity. And he says, I got to go down there and do something. But he didn't show up as a king or as a dictator kicking down doors, right, and taking hostages. He didn't do that. He came down as his son, Jesus Christ, who took up the trade of a carpenter, Right? And then 
And then Christ endures torturing. He endures humiliation. He endures a pain that will go beyond any pain that any of us will ever feel. You know, because it's like they, they, it's like, it's like some people, when we do the study of it, it was like they beat him so bad, but, but they knew where to stop so that he wouldn't die. Right? And then they beat him and beat him, but they stopped so that he wouldn't die. Because you know, there, there's, there's people that were are, are professionals in torturing, right? And they know how far to go before the body will completely give up. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was mangled. Then he was nailed on a cross for us, for our very, for us who can be very disobedient, who can be rebellious, who could be unloving. And he knew that though. But he knew all that before he did this. That's how much love he had for you. That shows how much mercy he had. This is where we should draw our sense of who we are from the immense love that God has for us. So, we have to understand that we are sons and daughters of God. We are loved by God. And I want to say this before we wrap it up. I am a representative of Christ. So our identity is, I'm a child of God, he loves me, and I'm a representative of Christ. Well, what does that mean, a representative of Christ? We talk about representative and we think of responsibility. Like, well, I'm a representative of Christ, so I have a job to do. I have, I have tasks that I have to complete. You know, God gives me a mission and a job. I'm his representative. I have to do it and do it well. And yes, there's nothing wrong, but I want to look, take a look from the other side of something. If I'm Christ's representative, what does that say about God toward me? If I'm a representative of Christ, it means that he trusts me. Right? You can't be a representative of a company that has no faith in you. They're not going to put you on the street to to represent them. No one's going to put someone on the street that represents them if they don't trust them to represent Right? I'm going to trust this person with an important task. We see that um, a good example of that is the ambassadors. U.S. ambassador in other countries. Do you think that U.S. would put people in other countries with the title of this is the United States? This person represents our entire country. When you are an ambassador, you represent the entire country. One person. One person. There has to be trust. There has to be trust. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal. Through us, we speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. There are two reasons why God trusts us to get the job done. One, he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. When he fills you with his Holy Spirit, he's equipping you. He's equipping you with what you need. 
we take a look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit teaches you. It molds you. It prompts you. The Holy, we talked about that in Bible study, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit will prompt you to do something, will, will lead you a certain way, will, will give you words when you had no words. God can trust you to be an ambassador for him when he fills you with his Holy Spirit. Because he's pretty much, you know, telling you what to say. Leading you where you need to go. God has also given us the most power-filled message of all. Romans 1.16, right? The famous Romans 1.16. Every time I just hear the thing, I remember Kevin rap, a rap song that Kevin did on that. That was a dad moment. For I am not ashamed of this good, work, good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews first and also the Gentiles. The gospel has the power to bring salvation. It has the power to bring healing. It has the power to break chains. It has the power to transform the gospel. Did you know that? Did you know that the gospel has that power? So if I am an ambassador for the Lord, he can trust me to do his work because he's given me his Holy Spirit and he's given me the gospel. And he's like, they got it. Use this, be led by this, and base it on this. And you got it. So let's go back to some of the questions from the beginning. Who am I? Why am I here? Why do I exist? Will people miss me if I'm gone? Did you know that those questions are answered when you begin to base your true, base your identity off of truth? When you base your identity off the Word of God, when you base your identity off of your relationship with God, then these, begin to, these answers begin to get filled out. They begin to, to get filled out. Who are I? I am a child of God. What's so special about me? What's special about me is that God, He takes an interest in me, an active, ongoing interest in me daily. That's what's special about me. I don't know about you, but He loves me. He loves us all. What is your self-identity based on? From where are you deriving who you are? Like, where are you getting, like, think about it. Ask yourself, who am I right now? What is my self-identity? What do people know you as? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What is the foundation of who you are? Is it based on something that's here today and gone tomorrow? Is it based on the Word of God? Is it based on things that go contrary to, the, to, to what God wants? Do not let this world dictate who you should become. 
This is very big in these days. You have the media, you have the world telling you who you need to be, what you need to do. There's all sorts of choices to make. And guess what? You guys make the choice that you feel led to make. There's choices in every direction. Pray about it. And if the Holy Spirit says do it, then you do it. You don't need to worry about what someone else did, what someone else heard. What does God want from me? And you pray, and God will answer. Self-identity, our our significance, the meaning of our existence should be derived from knowing that I am a child of God. Knowing that God's love for me is immense. Knowing that I am a representative, I'm an ambassador, he trusts me. That should be built into my identity. Knowing all this, it should give us this ability to walk taller. It should give us this, this, this kind of like, you know, this, this kind of like attitude of, do you know who I am? Do you know who my daddy is? Remember, some people used to say that, right? Some, some of y'all said it about your dad. Some of your kids said it about you. And then when they do, you're like, oh, man, shh. I'm trying to get no trouble right now. You know who my daddy is? Are you tired of trying to be someone who you aren't? Really think about this. Are you just done? Are you done trying to put up a front because this is what the world wants? Are you done just being who you think people want you to be? Because some of us, we're guilty. We're enslaved to the fact of I got to be who they want me to be. I got to be what people like because I'm I'm really me. People won't like me. Well, guess what? Then you're around the wrong people. You're around the wrong people. Be who you are. Be who God created you to be. Guess what? There are some people around you that need you to be who you really need to be. Believe it or not, you will set some of your friends free when you can be who God told you to be. 